G'day boys and girls. Today we are greeted by an amazing guest that I've been looking forward to to have on so much because this is a space that I'm so fascinated by. And I'd like to welcome you all to episode number 28 of the Fiber Performance Podcast where we talk about all things health, performance, longevity, and things that we can do to improve our health holistically. And we are welcoming welcoming today Mark Pages. Welcome. Thanks. Thank you, James, for having me on. <laughs> it's great to be here and, uh, yeah, exciting to speak all things algae. I love it, mate. This is such a fascinating topic and I think especially for people in the health and wellness space that typically look at fish oil and omegas, especially omega-3s, they probably hear a lot throughout the pipeline about having a balance between omega-3s, 6s, 9s, and that we're typically oversaturated in sixes and nines, we don't get enough three. So a lot of people either try and eat more fish or they will um, add a supplement like a krill or they'll add a fish oil. And then you hear all these crazy studies about fish oil being rancid and then the quality and how much EPA should you have and DHA should you have and what is the best ratio. So this is a fascinating space, but it's also a confusing space for a lot of people that want to optimize not only their performance but their health wellness and longevity at the same time and i'm guessing this is probably where you started yeah absolutely so i think my journey um around exploring plant-based omega-3 started around 2008 um i was living in the netherlands um had come off the back of um attempting or trying a more a more corporate um uh, business experience which um yeah, I'd had enough of. And um, I, I essentially, I, I was keen to try a plant-based diet. And and in my research, I was trying to explore, well, where do I get all my nutrients if I want to, you know, go on this plant-based diet journey? And, you know, and as you do, you, you, you say, okay, where do I get my vitamins, minerals, nutrients, which are the best plants to get this nutrient, that nutrient? And then I got to omega-3. And then I was like, okay, so we need... Um, you know, doing that deep dive and then realizing that, you know, we need EPA, which is a, EPA is a long chain omega-3 um, and DHA. Um, these are longer chains with, um, with five and six bonds on them um, that our body needs for health. So um, what my journey was is I realized that these products weren't available in a whole plant form. They weren't commercialized. At the same time, I realized this was where the source, where the marine life get their omega-3s from. Fish don't make EPA or DHA. They actually get it at the base of the food chain from plants. So that was the deep dive I did into finding out where mm. omegas originated from. Well, that's fascinating because essentially all the animals that we typically eat in an omnivorous or a carnivore diet, all of those nutrients are coming originally from the plants in most cases. So, you know, a lot of the, the, the protein for building muscle typically comes from plants, from a lot of these, you know, beasts that we eat or from the fish or, you know, it's, it's actually from plant forms originally. So it makes no difference whether it's land or sea, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, at the end of the day, nutrients... Um, originate from plants um, so I guess you know type of what what really interested me um, you know just maybe I'll just jump back a sec so um, phytoplankton 101 yeah in in like 
60 seconds, yeah. the short version. You, please drill down on me if you wish to. No, love it. I, tell us yeah. everything about phytoplankton. Well, well, phytoplankton are primordial. So they're ancient, um, ancient plants. They're right at the start of biological evolution on the planet. Um, phytoplankton originate from cyanobacteria, and cyanobacteria are the first single-cell plants we believe, um, to originate on the planet that came from vol volcanoes. So some interesting perspective around phytoplankton. They're the first plant to biologically synth synthesize light and they're the first chlorophyll-bearing plant on the planet. So everything you see green out there Origin originated from phytoplankton. You know, um, yeah, interesting. Wow, that's and that's fascinating. And Correct me if I'm wrong here, and I'm not sure if you know this is to be true, and it's very far from the topic. Phytoplankton. This is this is um, the phytoplankton that's on SpongeBob. Yeah, is that is he a phytoplankton? He he is a phytoplankton. Yeah, okay, perfect. He so a, yeah, he's, he's a tiny little thing that moves and doesn't look like much, but is he's the captain of everything. <laughs> exactly. You know, one great thing I say about phytoplankton: they are tiny, but boy, are they mighty. Yeah, I love that. So. Essentially, if we're if it, okay, so fish, because I know for a long time fish oil was the craze. It was like get your fish oil in because you need to balance your omegas. Then people started looking at alternative ways to get their omegas, and and then the next big thing was like, no, it's way better if you get it from krill. Do you have a consensus on you know the phase of where we're going? Let's just say we started with fish oil, we've gone to krill. Do you believe the next step is to get it from the original source? And if so. Is that directly from phytoplankton or is there another step or is it phytoplankton directly that we can get EPA, DHA from? Yeah, so phytoplankton is is cutting out everything essentially, you know. So firstly, as you said, James, um, you know, historically we've eaten fish, um, you know, we've um, – then we, there was fish oil supplements. Um, but yes, krill has a form of omega-3 – um, that is essentially water and oil soluble. So just just a bit of, a, a tidbit. So all extracted omega three oils that are a free flowing liquid form, they're in the form called a triglyceride. And these triglyceride oils are only oil soluble. When we're talking about um, the lipid structure that comes from krill, it's called uh, a polar bound lipid. Um, in the sorry for the technical terms but in the phospholipid glycolipid form but essentially these are oil and water soluble and so what does that mean so uh, these so they're bipolar so and they're a waxy form so you can't extract them but the benefit is that our body can much ease much more easily absorb these lipids and so what the krill oil folk did is they came along and they said well We've, we've developed a process for extra, um, extracting this waxy compound directly out of the krill, which is not very pretty. They basically press everything out of the krill and leave the shell. Not very sustainable. Um, but yes, the, the lipid structure of the krill um, has higher bioavailability. Now with phytoplankton, we go a step further. So essentially all of the... 100% of a krill's diet is phytoplankton. So we are going, cutting out the fish. No, we're cu even cutting out the krill and saying, let's go to the primary source 
that inducts and creates these long chain omega threes, and you know, and go to the phytoplankton plant and bypass the krill and and get that more bioavailable form of omega three. Wow, that's fascinating. And I know there's so many aspects of sustainability, quality, bioavailability. Um, just making sure that we're, you know, doing things better for the planet. So I have a few questions that I'd like to ask you if that is okay. And I think these these questions will answer everything for people that are sitting there scratching their head, wondering a little bit more about EPA, DHA balances, sustainability, and why it's good for the body. So I'm just going to start with question number one. Can you explain the significance of phytoplankton in our ocean and its role in producing oxygen? How much of the Earth's oxygen can it be attributed to phytoplankton? Yeah, that's a yeah, great question and a good and a good starting point. So yeah, so phytoplankton. Um, I guess over the years, we've we're becoming to learn more and more ab- about the fact that the the ocean is not only the the base of the the food chain, but also the lungs of the planet. And so initially, um, the scientists, that, you know, varying research was done. They were saying like sixty to seventy percent, and then MIT came out and uh, recently quoted eighty percent. Now the EOS, the European um, Science Foundation, now they're quoting that ninety percent of the oxygen on the planet comes from phytoplankton. So that's a that's a quite substantial amount, and and you know they really. You know, phytoplankton is at the core of our existence because if if phytoplankton didn't exist, we wouldn't have the ionosphere and planet we have today. They're the, they're the yeah they they they're basically for every um, one part. Um, so basically, for they're basically drawing down carbon, mm-hmm. and for every one part carbon they draw down, they create about three times oxygen. Wow! So for us as humans in a civilization living on the planet, they are crucial for our survival. They, yeah, <laughs> they, they hold are, us together. They are slightly important. Yes. Okay. Perfect. Well, that is fascinating to me. Like I, I think, I think that's one thing when people think about EPA, DHA, they think about me, my health. What is it good for? It's good for my heart. It's good for my brain. I've heard it's good from my doctor, but also it's good for the planet to actually maintain and um, sustain life. So that is, a, that is another part that we need to, outside of our body, in terms of our atmosphere and everything else, which is fascinating to me. I have another question here. What makes phytoplankton unique in terms of its sustainability and diversity compared to other marine life? So I guess for that one, the uniqueness of phytoplankton in comparison to, say, probably fish or krill or seaweed, um, what, what is probably the most unique point about phytoplankton? Yeah, phytoplankton are quite diverse. Um, we we estimate there's over between a hundred to three hundred thousand species. So we're just at the start of the learning journey. I think we've like um, scientifically maybe classified like something like a thousand strains, and and from a, a DNA sequencing and checking they're safe to consume. So they only make nutrients, not toxins. From a point of food or feed um, less than 100 strains we're really at the start of the journey but phytoplankton are very diverse i mean we focus on at uh, vitality um, single cell plants that are easy for the body to break down the cell wall and consume the nutrients but they come in all different shapes and sizes um, and yeah really you know they're the base of life in the sea the coral 
need phytoplankton for nutrients. Um, wow. You know, the zoya plankton, which are the microscopic fish that eat the phytoplankton and then they're consumed by bigger fish and all the way up the mm. sea chain, these fish are transferring these omega-3s. Wow. Um, um, so, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting it's, it's the base, process. It's the baseline. That is, that's, that's super cool. And I think... I think for me, it's uh, I have heard of phytoplankton before, but I didn't know EPA DHA originated there. And uh, it kind of reminds me, when you say a thousand species of phytoplankton have now been kind of catalogued at least to a degree, and there's probably plenty more that we don't know about, and they probably live in different parts of the sea depending on pressures and temperatures and um, you know currents. Um, it kind of reminds me of the gut microbiome. We have, you know, there's, you know, thousands and tens of thousands of species of, of bacteria in the gut microbiome and you might you know might host a thousand and I might host 800 and the next person might host 200 and then somebody might have you know there's probably a person on the earth that'd be one person who has the most diverse gut microbiome of all but we don't know who that is and and the host of benefits by having diversity does do you know if for each phytoplankton say speak or, or a type of phytoplankton do they all have the same? ratios of EPA DHA or is there specific ones that have better ones that are suited it's it's very very diverse right. um, in fact you know some have high DHA some have hardly any EPA you know and that's the also the ironic thing about phytoplankton we know phytoplankton you know are the base of the food chain but also phytoplankton can create blooms and toxins so so you know, one of the things with phytoplankton, they do a whole diversity of things. And, and and I think when we bring it back to health and well-being for human nutrition, one of the key things that I'm always telling people is, you know, we've spent like five years in Europe, you know, when we started this journey in 2008 on isolating these plants from the Arctic. You know, we spent so long on making sure that the strain that we grow um you know, basically only creates nutrients under any nutrient loading. So so to answer your question, it's super diverse. It's like, you know, it's almost the equivalent of looking out to the universe and saying, what type of life forms could be out there in the universe? What could they look like? How could they be? There's mm. every different size, shape, all different types of nutrient loads. Mm. But interestingly enough, EPA and DHA only originates from from marine phytoplankton or marine microalgae it doesn't come um in more phytoplankton or microalgae strains that grow in estuaries or lakes like chlorella as wow an example. okay okay and they're all and so chlorella spirulina they're all microalgae too as well yes Correct, yep. okay and so the EPA DHA only comes from marine, so the sea essentially, and not from say freshwater, freshwater estuaries and ponds and lakes and things. Yeah, yeah, correct. Um, the The physiology of phytoplankton, I think, dictated that somehow EPA and DHA is inducted in these primordial plants when there's some pH mm. and there's some salt in the environment. Wow, that's fascinating and that's so cool. And I guess they all have their their place in providing nutrients to the next thing that's eating them. And across evolution, we've some have grown to thrive and survive on particular nutrients and then you know, down the line, down the line, down the line, there's a human and we're kind of getting them all from the things that come before it. But getting it from the source, obviously, 
if you get it directly from the source in a non-toxic form and in a very nutrient um, loaded form, it's going to be great for us. And there's a couple of reasons why, which I'm fascinated by in terms of micron size and, and how we absorb it. But before I get to that, there's a couple other questions that I'd like to go through, which I'm super fascinated by. How fast do phytoplankton replicate and what are the key factors to influencing their growth? Yeah, so, so phytoplankton, I call a hyper-replication machines. Wicked. Well, hyper-replication plants because yep. yeah, they're natural biology. Um, but they replicate um, from cell division. So they cell divide to create new, um, new single cells, the, the phytoplankton form that we grow. Um, and typically the, from cell division to mature state is somewhere between 24 to 72 hours wow wow fascinating so for every cell that's created after the say the 24 to 72 hour mark then then replicating again themselves once they mature yeah so they've they're they're very fast growing and in different under different conditions you know winter summer solar irradiance so what the phytoplankton need to grow are a range of um, micronutrients um, and they, all, of course, draw down carbon. So they consume carbon, create oxygen, absorb that carbon and nutrients. So they're, they're really the symbiosis of um, photosynthesis and light combined in an aqueous environment. Wow. And obviously doing what you do with Vitality, you figured out the best recipe to help them grow, grow well, grow healthy and grow with the most nutrients available. Yeah, so I guess that was the big journey, you know, like um, we did about five years research um, in Europe with my, with my partners on, you know, how to take these absolutely tiny plants. We're talking plants that are, you know, at harvest size, three micron, smaller than a red or a white blood cell, how to manage those at scale, you know, um, and pump them and process them without rupturing them. Um, so yeah, it was quite a quite a interesting journey um, on on getting to where we got to uh, to a point where we could commercialize uh, the business. Fascinating, a five year journey to make sure that it's you know um, viable and safe is is a is a, a long commitment. You know, people are just usually like acute fix. If it doesn't work tomorrow, we're done. But five years is that's hanging in there. I love that. I love it. It shows commitment to the cause. And obviously for you, you found yourself with your own health journey that the commitment to create this thing was, you know, uh, probably a, a, a personal passion of yours to create health within yourself. But also you saw the other sustainable aspects to the world, the ecosystem that we live in and why this is so important. So it was obviously the five years probably didn't seem like a, a hard task because you knew it was a way to go. Well, you know, only crazy people go on such crazy journeys. <laughs> I and, love that. And, and, you know, I wouldn't recommend that anyone follows me because it's not a job. It's, it's, it's something I'm passionate about, you know. I'm passionate about health and well-being. I'm passionate about sustainability. I'm passionate about ethics. Mm -hmm. um, and really phytoplankton ticks all those boxes. You know, we've got the most primordial nutrient-dense plant on the planet. Um, we've got something that absorbs more carbon and creates oxygen. We've got something that we've isolated from the sea but not harvested. So we're not, we're not, we're not 
putting the sea in competition with humans, mm. we're not only taking from the sea. So we've, we're taking these plants and growing them in a, in a process, um, in a very sophisticated but natural process where we can ensure quality and consistency. It's fascinating. And I think that's the key factor for anyone who's listening is that this is not just taking from the oceans to produce the EPA DHA. This is, this is harvesting and then re- letting them replicate in a, a, a natural but isolated system that allows for absolute purity quality without without uh, being a detriment to what's already there and leaving the food for the fish and the krill and everything else that needs to do their own journey. This is, it's a fascinating process. And I think that is probably one of the biggest key factors that you can take away from this. But I have some other cool questions to go for as well. It's fascinating that fish don't, pro- don't produce EPA d- uh, omega-3s, but obtain them from phytoplankton. Could you elaborate on the process and the importance of this so they i think most people think and this is what i would have thought back in the day when i was you know reading blogs and things on you know probably babycom or you know the the next bro science um forum somewhere that fish create uh, fish create omega-3s and it's good to get omega-3 so you better eat your fish obviously that is they don't actually create it they consume it so maybe along the pipeline and you probably already touched on this just a little bit earlier but maybe if we go into what what are the what are some issues that come from trying to get your, n- not only from a sustainability point of view, but a, an ethics point of view um, in your own personal life? What's, what's a, a, a negative side of trying to get out EPA, DHA or omega-3s from fish? Yeah, sure. Um, just before I go there, so just one thing I wanted to, because I get this question all the time, um, is the omega-3 structure... Um, the same in fish as it is in in algae, the, the chemical, the natural chemical structure. So the University of South Australia, who's a leading uh, researcher into all things omega three, have looked at that, and and yes, the omega three structure in fish and algae um, at a molecular level are identical. So it doesn't really matter where we get that omega three. Now the fish when they're transferring omega-3 up the chain um, they're hydrolyzing there's some enzymatic effects in the body but they're not changing the structure of the omega-3 now when we speak about like the sustainability or the ethical you know is 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 aquaculture ethical i mean one of my uh, projects i did as a consultant in europe to the the dutch innovation agency was to try and um, move the industry to a more sustainable form of aquaculture. So, just a couple of statistics: um, the total, the what, the total annual wild fish catch, which is regulated by FIFO, the international body, um, that wild fish fish catch has been in its quota now for well over a decade. Approximately sixty-five to seventy percent of all wild fish caught annually. 65 to 70 percent is used to feed salmon so we're actually killing two-thirds of the wild fish population Mm. to feed fish now approximately 20 percent are used in supplements and nutraceutical uh, fish oil supplements Um, approximately five percent only for wild fish direct wild fish consumption as food and then approximately five percent in some other specific Wow. applications so 
So what we see is um, some of my re- um, um, work in Europe um, consulting to um, the Dutch Innovation Agency and, and, and the European Union around more sustainability was like, this is not very sustainable. And, and I learned a lot um, in having to look into the issue around aquaculture, but it's highly unsustainable. It's not good for the environments that they set up these processes. It basically kills all of the nature mm. around it. So it's it's not very pretty. Mm. And we can all agree at the end of the day, I think everybody can pretty much agree that wiping out a whole ecosystem and dragging nets along the floor to capture all these fish and everything in between, and not just fish, but crustaceans as well. Not only is it cruel in well, my point of view, it's cruel for a lot of other people. It's cruel too, but also we can't see that as being a good thing for the environment. Like I think if anyone says, yeah, it's a great thing for the environment, they're they're not really looking at the bigger picture or they're just being um, ignorant towards the bigger picture here. And if we have people like yourself that are creating solutions for the, the reasons to why people want to eat the fish is because they want either the protein or they want the omegas. If there's another way and it's better for the environment, there's less cruelty going on, it's more sustainable, it's good for the ecosystem, it's better for the body, you, why not? Like that's like it's a why not? <laughs> there's, there's no other argument. Absolutely. I mean the, the whole the – good, the good potential story that we can all – play a part in this solution is like we can go directly to the source we don't have to participate in what i believe is very unethical and unsustainable processes i mean i can elaborate on those in in very personal and direct detail but that's another that's another deep dive sure um but the the good thing is we can all be part of the solution so we you know we can get you know nutrient dense um you know phytoplankton the type of phytoplankton that we grow is about 45 to 50 percent protein full spectrum amino acids um, micronutrients um, omega-3 6 7 and 9 epa dha carotenoids and the most potent thing and the most interesting thing it's delivered in nature's micro encapsulation so it's so tiny that it's ultra ultra bioavailable perfect and that's that's a question i'm going to ask you as well i want to talk about the bioavailability and how we absorb it and why it is so cool to do it in this in this format given the increasing pollution and pressures on the oceans why is it crucial to find sustainable ethical sources of omega-3 phytoplankton and i think this is like and maybe you can elaborate a little bit on this in terms of we just spoke about the oxygenation, um, the carbon that it draws in and the oxygen that it emits. Um, do you have any statistics on why, how can this affect our biosphere and how can it affect um, the way that we are currently chopping and cutting down most of our forest life um, to provide more farming? And I know a lot of the farming industry does supply a lot of ends up food that does go into the oceans as well. And, you know, the fish eat the fish, but they're also, you know, sometimes feeding them corn. Um, there's other things like that. But in terms of what it does for our land environment too, and the amount of, I think, what did I hear one time? There was a, a parts per million of carbon in the atmosphere and, you know, 20 or 30 years ago, it's doubled since then or something crazy like that. So I know I did actually hear on, it was called, 2040, I'm not sure if you've seen the documentary on 2040, but it was talking about how much um, the uh, the seaweed was drawing in as well. So algae, seaweed, are they the same type of thing? And, and 
maybe a little bit on the environment and our oxygen supply. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot to pack in there. Cool. Um, yeah. Um, where do I start? Um, so a couple of interesting things. So um, sustainability of fish um, coupled with terrestrial production. So one of the big issues around aquaculture is this this limit to the amount of wild catch. So out the world population, China and India and the emerging markets, everyone wants to eat more fish. There's you know omega threes are one of the most best studied there's hundreds if not thousands of cases to support the consumption of epa and dha so so everyone wants to grow this aquaculture fish but they can't get any more fish meal and fish um, oil from the sea because the quotas reach so what are they what's been going on in the industry so they are over the last 30 years they've started to add more and more synthetic yeast and um, and they've started to add a lot of soya, soya meal um, and soya proteins into fish feeds. Now, mm. there's nothing wrong with soy if it's ethically sourced and of good quality for humans to eat, but fish can't break that break down those soya proteins. That's not a that's a terrestrial nutrient that doesn't come from their natural environment. So what's happening is the quality of fish um, that is v- available commercially, aquaculture fish is drop so dramatically that in the UK they're actually talking about not allowing retailers to quote a good source of omega-3 for salmon they sell anymore because the amount of omega-3s in the feed has gone down from 25 to 30 percent of these omega-3s EPA and DHA now to less than five wow so this really highlights the question like you know, these fish have got poor immunity. Um, they're using antibiotics in the process to try and manage that. And at the end of the day, the whole question is, this is all done for humans. Like, do we do we want to eat this? Mm. I mean, because the quality is far different from when the process started. So that's a little bit of a take on the the sustainability mm. side of it. Yeah. Didn't even think of it like that. But it also, it reminds me of... Um, uh, I was talking with someone about, obviously we have our aquaculture, our farming practices there, but our land farming practices over the course of time, you know, if we use and reuse and use and use our, you know, the soil that we have to, to grow tomatoes and to grow carrots and to grow all these other vegetables, if we use it and don't replenish the minerals that are in the soil, eventually the ratios and and the levels of minerals in our food is going to deteriorate so you know what's once was you know you eat a carrot that has this much beta carotene and flavonoids and um, polyphenols and fibers starts to decrease over time and then you need to get two carrots to supply that one carrot in terms of nutrient value probably the same thing for fish once when once was you ate a piece of fish and you got so much epa dha now you have to have two pieces of fish to get to the same level, but people aren't going to be eating two bits of fish to equate for their omega levels. And then they're wondering why they're falling ill or getting sick because they're, you know, they're imbalanced with the nutrients that they're intaking. So this is a problematic thing that we need to, I guess, rectify at a base level rather than just, you know, just, you know, trying to, you know, throw, you know, grass seeds on weeds and hope for the best and figure it out along the way. I think starting from the base level and that's, you know, rectifying the number one solution here for a lot of practices and that's the unsustainability of harvesting fish for our EPA DHA when we've got a solution that's at our fingertips. And I think this is what 2040 spoke about so much is that we have 
so many people like yourself in the space that have solutions that aren't make believe. They're they're not they're not they're not you know a hundred years down the line. They're things that we have the ability to do right now that would change the landscape of the planet and how we operate, which is yeah, fascinating. Absolutely, and they're not they're not ideas. The products are being manufactured. They're available in the shops. You can get them today. So they're yeah they're really to you know the solutions. You know, fifteen years ago when I started, I was really concerned. I'm a little bit of a futurist. So I'm looking at um, the habits of humanity, um, the psychology of humanity, where are we going? And, and, you know, sitting down and thinking about this, I thought, well, there's less and less nutrients in our food as we do more and more monoculture. You know, there's less and less nutrients in fish. So, from my perspective, the solution—a solution. You know, how can how can we all? How can I participate in the solution and serve? Um, you know, our fellow humans and the planet. Well, if there's some plant that's at the start of this primordial life that has all those nutrients, it's nutrient dense, it's nutrient abundant, it's highly bioavailable, and it has everything we need. And it and it produces itself in 24 to 72 hours and it's like it wants to grow and it almost wants to solve the solution for us absolutely it's not like it takes three years for it to mature that's fantastic yeah like, uh, just it seems like such such a simple answer that's more complicated right <laughs> oh man oh. okay i've got another one here um Given the increasing pollution and pressures on the oceans, why is it crucial uh, crucial to find sustainable and ethical sources of omega-3 and phytoplankton? And this probably comes back to um, the way that we harvest the fish, way that we harvest krill, but the pollution factor, there's probably, there's a lot of pollution going on. And I guess doing what you're doing, and this is taking, this is harvesting and, and creating aquaculture on land, I'm, I'm guessing, that doesn't have the impurities that we're currently dishing into the oceans that you know, then you have to find sources of fish that aren't, you know, tainted with pollution and whatever else is going into the ocean. So this is another benefit to it as well, that it's it's pure and it's more healthy to a higher degree. And obviously there's some places around the world that are, are, are still pure and, and healthy to, to consume from. But um, this, is a, this is a better solution in terms of pollution. So tell us a little bit of that, a bit about yeah, that. Yeah, so I mean... The in, in, in the journey, in fact, one of the, the shareholder partners that came on and um, very early in the piece in Europe to, to develop this innovation was an, an extraction technology company that was in fact um, involved in the process of refining and purifying fish oil. And they themselves said, well, you know, this is not a good ethical process. There has to be a better solution. There's, you know, high demand for omega-3. And so what, what I learned from uh, having a partner that came from that industry and process is that you know when you take a you know when you take a fish they basically press all of the oil out of it and then you have an oil and a meal um, there's about three typically three um, further processing steps that need to take place to to remove um, any mercury heavy metals um, pcbs contaminants so the amount of refining that takes place um, you know omega-3s are the most unstable lipid uh, when they're extracted um, what we see is like fish oil it's almost you know there's so much work to be done to get um, a product safe and then you say to yourself well when you grow phytoplankton you grow it controlled 
So you're not doing all these refining steps that, you know, these post-processing steps. You're growing something controlled. You're growing it in a whole plant. You get the micronutrients in it. There's no contamination. There's no waste. There's nothing to remove. There's no refining. So the process is, you know, Far more totally or from one, one side, like, so intensive and refining and... Very backwards. And to, on, on the other hand here, whole food with micronutrients in a more bioavailable form, you know, absorbing carbon at the same time. So, it, so it's funny that, you know, we had a, a the guy, you know, a partner from the other side say like, well, we, we can't continue with this. Yeah. We, this, 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 this we've, ain't going to work. We've just taken out 10 steps to the same process, to, to the same outcome. We've just taken out 10 steps. Why would we do anything yeah. else? Yeah. That is, that's also another fascinating point because along that pipeline, waste of money, waste of energy, and also the um, ethical standpoint too, there's, there's so many reasons as to why it is so much better. But I'd like to touch on what you just mentioned there and talking about the bioavailability of the EPA, DHA, and the nutrients within the phytoplankton that is much more um, easily consumed and absorbed by the body. Tell us a little bit about the micron size. Tell us a little bit about the um, the way that it's consumed and how it um, how it actually interacts with our biology and our body. Yeah, so so the phytoplankton, as we mentioned, is really tiny. That if if we suspend them back to single cell form. Um, the phytoplankton we grow is about three and four microns, and that's much smaller than any terrestrial food that we would consume, or any even powder that you know product that we would make. So, one of the great things about phytoplankton is due to this microscopic size, we believe we have this ultra high absorption factor. Um, there's quite some different research from from Japan and, and Europe and the US saying that you know anything between 10 to 15 micron goes directly you know our liver and kidneys are there to support and be our filtration systems for the body. Um, phytoplankton is so small that it basically goes on this journey we th- we believe directly to the cells because it can pass straight through. You know, it basically goes down the superhighway and passes all the road stops. Mm. Um, now, that's an amazing and great thing, but that means it has to be ultra pure, uh, and that's why it's grown in a totally closed system in a very controlled way because this ultra-high bioavailability is really good um, based on the, the, the qualities, mm. but you can't have any contamination. Yep, that's interesting. And by having it super bioavailable i'm guessing if it's more bioavailable than what is being consumed in its greatest quantity today you probably don't have to have as much of it is that the case too yeah that's correct so um we've done we started to do some studies and there was a there was a study um done uh, a clinical study in the u.s and we studied against krill oil and we thought oh it's going to be quite similar you know because krill is the you know phytoplankton is the food of the krill um what we found is in this study uh, with 10 people it was only a small study but a good foundational study that the phytoplankton had 1.7 times the omega-3 absorption versus krill um and we were like wow that we didn't expect that that's great Mm. and what we put it down to is it's all the micronutrients together um, with the omega-3. So, you know, you've got all these, um, you've got plant-based choline, very hard to find in a plant, um, 
and all these minerals that play a factor in aiding the cellular cellular absorption. The other thing we noticed is when we did that bioavailability test and compared it to fish oil or extracted algal oil, by the way, because they're both the same form, we were 2.25 times the absorption. So it's... So one of the big challenges with Fitality is like when you take the pack, you see, okay, there's so much omega-3 on there. And I guess the education that we need to do is, uh, and we're doing a lot of that now in our, in, in our materials, is really um, telling the consumer, telling the naturopath, you know, this is a much more bioavailable version, so you don't need to take as much as you would um, to get a comparable form to the industry measures. Yeah, wow. That's that's fascinating, and I guess you probably experienced this um, back when you were first, you know, going through your your plant based journey to improve health. And um, I think a lot of people are on this journey too. But maybe we can talk about some physiological benefits of consuming EPA DHA. Is it good for the brain? Is it good for muscles? Is it good for the heart? What is what is EPA DHA? Because I think a lot of people that are listening to this have probably heard of heard of short chain fatty acids, but long chain fatty acids, EPA DHA, what are they good for in the body? So yeah, so they're the longest form of omega threes, and there's a lot of um, research and study um, into the benefits of long chain omega threes. Um, primarily, EPA um, is focused around heart health, so it ports supports the heart muscle, the heart rhythm, um, also supports joints, um, um, the body's joints. Um, and also there's a lot of more emerging research into mood. Um, mm. So the, the cycle, um, the people's mood, and there's been quite a number of studies in people in jail settings when they're on higher doses of EPA versus not. Um, wow. So yeah, some great, um, great benefits there. On the DHA side, um, it's more around brain health, um, cognitive um, development, particularly in infants, um, supporting neuron elasticity. Um, one of the interesting facts is that our, our brain is encased in a bath of fatty acids mm. and, and DHA makes 40 to 50% of that consumption. Wow. Um, so yeah, so they both play a good role and, and, and across immunity, um, um, yeah, they, 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 they both do different things. Sure. And how important is the ratio um, between the two? Is it, is it as important as what people make it out to be? Or is there like, what do you know? Do you know what the, the recipe is for a good ratio between what are, so what are the main, what are the main omegas? We've got three, which is EPA, DHA. So two things inside omega threes. And then we've got omega five. Six. Yeah, so we've we've got omega the main omegas, we've got omega three, six, seven, and nine. Yeah. Um, omega three very well researched, uh, um, and omega six pretty well known. Omega seven we're learning more about, and omega nine, um, not um not as much used in our body as omega three and six. Sure. Some of some just just some of the interesting things around the uh, omega-3 and uh, omega-3 versus omega-6 so they say um i just read this quite recently that mm. back um the prehistoric human the caveman they had a ratio of omega-3 to omega-6 of one to one yep um i guess one of the things we're seeing in the modern western diet is there's so much omega-6 um 
in a polyunsaturated form in a lot of seed oils in varying quantities but also in a lot of the refined oils and unfortunately the west is suffering from an omega-6 overload so the guidelines of now you should have for um at a ratio of one to three or one to four being one part omega-3 to three or four parts omega-6 these are the ratios but over 90 percent of people are way out so that in america the average is somewhere between one one part omega-3 to 10 times omega-6 and up to 30 and what does what is this causing inflammation inflammation probably depression probably a lot of other factors sore joints um, bad memory cognitive function declining that's fascinating and you know you can probably see it just in the landscape that we live in these days that there's probably something not quite right and you know i think this is a journey that we have to go on and experience because the only way that you get to adapt and evolve is to experience things that aren't quite where we need to be so you know, maybe we have to go through this process for people to understand, okay, there's something not quite right here. Let's try and rectify and see what the solution is. I have been using Fitality's Omega-3 um, APA DHA since about January. And I can definitely say that I do feel so much better since adding it in. Because back when I was, you know, a teenager looking at how to improve my performance through sport, I wanted to... I wanted to optimize my performance so I could compete. I was uh, I was playing rugby league at the time. I wanted to be faster, fitter, stronger. And it was like, okay, cool. Let's map out, okay, good diet. And then, okay, what's the supplement protocol look like? Okay, protein is usually a staple. Multivitamin is usually a staple. Omegas are usually a staple. And then you might add, you know, an amino on the side, like a creatine or something. And they're kind of like the four things that most people look at. They'll wake up multivitamin, omega supplement, and they'll have a protein after their workout. I think these days, I think people have now expanded that into, okay, I want a nootropic. I want something that's going to get my brain activated and they'll, you know, add lion's mane or they'll add something like cordyceps to get their, um, get the vascular system working a bit better. But I think sometimes the, the basic stuff that we used to think about a lot needs to be brought back to the surface. Okay, cool. Maybe you do need to add a multivitamin if the, the landscape of where you're getting your food from needs to be upped but also do the same thing with your omegas. And I, I think if people started learning a bit more, and I think that the information is coming to the surface, but how important omega-3s are and getting that ratio back in check is not only going to be good for inflammation, heart health, how we perform, how we think, how we sleep. Um, it's I think it's something that's going to be more prominent over the coming years. It might be the next phase. I think we went through a phase of mushrooms for a while there. We went through a, a phase of whey protein. Um, and you know we've gone through the phase of collagen. And I think um, EPA, omega-3, EPA, DHA and omega-3 will rise to the surface in, in the coming years. I've got a feeling that might be the next craze and wave. And if, you know, if people are looking into how to increase their omega-3s, maybe they should look at Vitality and, and take a look at EPA, DHA from a, the original, original primordial source, which is from phytoplankton. Yeah, no, um, I, I think that's, there's a big education journey that has to take place. Um, you know, one of the things um, that we we constantly are aware that we need to do is really tell the difference between that shorter chain form of omega three called ALA, and and ALA exists in um, a whole variety of like hemp, chia, flax, walnuts, um, and that's that's a that's a 
a shorter chain omega-3 and its primary pri- you know primary role in the body is to try and act um, you know to be there to support the body to convert to these longer chains but the problem is is due to this high omega-6 overload the enzymes that do that job are in competition so the enzymes that would normally say okay we're going to convert ala to epa and dha are too busy trying to work with all of the saturated fats and omega-6 overload and that's why the west has a bigger problem in conversion so just a couple of tidbits the conversion of these seed oil or the ala form of um, um, omega-3 up to epa and dha is highly inefficient in the body somewhere on average between one to two percent slightly better in females than males Um, in japan it's somewhere between three to five percent and when we looked at that and said well why can the japanese convert ala better to epa and dha um, still at low a low ratio but but you know, three to five percent, not one to two percent. It was because they had low omega six and low saturated fatty acid diet compared to the West. Yeah, so they're not competing for the same enzymes to to um, to uh, convert. Essentially, yeah, exactly. The enzymes are basically saying, "Oh, we can focus on converting ALA to EPA and DHA," rather than the enzymes in the average person in the West saying, "Holy cow! Look at all of that omega six I need to work on and convert. So I need to run over there. You've got, you know, five to ten times the amount of omega six you should." And the enzymes have run over to the right to do all the work yeah. over there, and they've left the ALA on the sidelines and poor ALA is not being converted to EPA and DHA. So that's primarily the process in the body and how it works. And and at the end of the day, um, due to this, my big message to everyone is if you're on a plant-based diet, you don't want to hope that you get EPA and DHA. You want to guarantee that you've got it. These are essential nutrients for brain health heart health all the conditions we mentioned and there's now a way to get them in a whole plant um so you know you want to be guaranteed that you can get them yeah not just fingers crossed and hope for the best um you've got the solution right there so you might as well take advantage of the solution it's not even taking advantage it's using it's using the best sustainable processes possible now do you know of and you may or may not do you know of any co-foods or co-factors um, that would go well alongside EPA, DHA to help the absorption? Is it, you know, um, is bananas or turmeric or um, pineapple? Is it, do you know of any other foods that go well with EPA, DHA to maybe provide more enzymes to help the conversion? Do you know of anything like that? I've, I've heard that um, curcumin um, um, really um, can work well, particularly with the the triglyceride, the, the the omega-3 form, the EPA, DHA form that's more of a, a liquid form, yep. um, that really helps. Um, and I think one of the things that we're learning is typically if you take um, omega-3s around a meal, um, the, the, the absorption seems to be a little bit better um, and there's still a lot of learning that has to happen with that, but mm. there's slightly better conversion if you take at around the time of eating rather than on an empty stomach. If you're taking um, 
an extracted oil. Now, if you're taking it in the whole food form, you're taking it with all the micronutrients mm. um, and there you can take the phytoplankton. I take phytoplankton in the morning when yeah. I get up. Um, me too. Um, to get me going, um, you know, this, you know, a nutrient hit to start the day, but that's when you're taking a whole food. Yeah, perfect. And so Vitality has a few products um, on the market. You have a liquid, a liquid dropper form. You also have a powdered form. Um, you have a couple of different versions of the powdered form. Could you explain just a couple of those? Why would you take one or the other, or what is it? Is it just personal preference, or um, yeah, give us a little bit of a lowdown on that. Yeah, lovely. So we started with the phytoplankton whole cell powder. Um, and that's available in a powder form. You know, typically you could add that into a smoothie, into a juice. Um, so, you know, and for hardcore people like me, I drink it straight up on water. I yeah. love that oceanic taste. Me too, actually. Um, yeah, lovely. Um, so, you know, that's one delivery system. Um, the other the other option is in a vegetarian's uh, hard cap, a hard capsule. Some people, you know, say... I, I want the benefit, but I don't have the time to make a smoothie and I don't particularly like the uh, the marini oceanic taste. So there's a capsule form. What we also did is we put it in a greens blend um, where we put some natural uh, flavours. So we put it with five essential greens, ashwagandha and a vegan probiotics on a vanilla and uh natural pineapple extract. So I've actually had this, guys, and by the way, it tastes wildly good, so you have to try that one. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I love thank that. You. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's, that's a good introduction to phytoplankton because, you know, sometimes your everyday person wants a, a, a nice flavour experience. So that's a nice formulated version where you basically get 190 milligrams of essential fatty acids, um, you know, and uh, a one-gram dose of EPA and DHA in this plant form. So we, they're, they're the range we have um, in the phytoplankton wholesale, whole plant form. What we also did is particularly for, so phytoplankton has um, majority of its lipid um, form in EPA and only a smaller amount in DHA. And so what we, what we basically did is worked on a water extraction process to um, extract from another strain that has high DHA. It doesn't like being grown to a whole food. The cell ruptures when you try and dry it. So what we've done is we basically extract the DHA out of it using um, a water extraction, a chemical-free process. Um, and then we follow a very unique organic step to purify it, which gives us this clear, transparent oil. Um, and also gives us ultra high purity. So we have about 50% DHA in this um, algal, and that's called the clean Amiga range. So you can find that on a uh, an oil dropper bottle or in a vegetarian soft gel. Yeah, and there's what I was fascinated by this is there's no fishy, there's no fishy taste to it. it it's clear, clean. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that, um, you know, if you're on a, you know, if you're a, on a plant-based diet or or a flexitarian but you know typically algal oil um smells like fish because mm. the what the fish smell the way they do based on the omega-3 um that they consume so typically algal oil you know um smells the same as fish oil so what we tried to do is um in this natural purification process one way to increase the dha but use this natural process as a, uh, a 
natural way of removing the odor and the taste. And, you know, the great thing as a vegetarian or a vegan, you don't have that fishy sensation. In fact, it's got this nice organic lemon mm. peel extract mm. that has a nice little zing yeah. finish to it. Yeah. So for anyone who's looking to, who's about to go on the EPA DHA rabbit hole, if someone feels like they're very low or they haven't taken an EPA DHA for a long time and let's say they're plant-based as well and they haven't been eating fish and they ha- don't think they've been getting EPA DHA for quite some time, is there a protocol you would recommend for a week or two weeks to load up on EPA DHA and then go to a more sustainable um, maintenance phase of EPA DHA? Yeah, absolutely. So so we can find out the amount of EPA DHA we have by, by taking a simple test. And uh, the great thing is we're about to launch that on our website. It's called the Omega-3 Index Test. Um, so what, what, what we see is... M- I would say about the, the statistics from this group that tests the blood of a whole variety of people, including vegetarians and vegans, is 90-something percent of vegetarians and vegans have an omega index of 3 to 4. The optimal is around 7 to 8, this index measure. Um, and so the, the dose, so the best way to know how much omega-3 you have is to test your blood plasma sure and it takes about four to eight weeks to build up your omega-3s in your blood plasma so typically most um most people that are deficient they need to take what we call a booster dose Mm. so a higher elevated dose for the first four to eight weeks Um, you could retest at the end of eight say eight weeks to see where am i at now and then if your blood plasma levels are at a higher index, you can you can t- move off to a maintenance dose. Mm-hmm. Um, so what what are that what are those doses? Mm. Um, so I would recommend in phytoplankton um, as a booster dose, at least two grams of the phytoplankton, yep. and I would recommend one gram minimum one gram of the clean omega three. And there you're getting high. EPA, omega-3, 6, 7, and 9, all the micronutrients, and you're getting that DHA boost. So I would say two grams, um, at least two grams of the phytoplankton and one one, one mil of the dropper. Um, And there you could could tweak that off. You could reduce it um, after that. Yeah, perfect. Great. That's perfect. Well, team, if you guys have any questions – about this podcast, about omega-3s, phytoplankton, anything here. I'm going to put all the details in the show notes below. Um, And you can also reach out to Mark at any time. You can reach out to the Vitality Instagram, go through their website. If you'd like to take the index test as well, stay tuned for that. I'm sure they'll be posting about it. I'll also post about it myself too Um, because I think this is so important for everybody. And we really appreciate you coming on the Fiber Performance Podcast to talk all things Omega, EPA, DHA, and the sustainability efforts that you're going to to try and help not only, you know, the the world, but your fellow fellow men too. Thanks so much. Thanks, James. It's a pleasure to be here today with you. Um, Yeah. Great, uh, great experience, and I look forward to a follow up to uh, to take all those deep dive questions that uh, that everyone may have. Absolutely, thanks so much. Thanks. See you guys. Bye, guys.